Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. We just form a fucking wall. O'Neal deep on the post, lots of contact there. Oh, what a block by Wallace! What wow. a jump ball! This team's down four, 12 8, 7 38 to play the first half. First from Rodney, stuck into the rim! Reggie inside for Andre, and a dynamite dunk! Pistons fans, hello and welcome to another edition of the Palace of Pistons podcast. Brendan Johnson, Aaron Johnson, and Ryan Pay all here with you this week to talk about, well, just those glorious Detroit Pistons. Boys, what's going on this week? We ready to dive into it? I'm ready. I'm ready. We got some good topics this week. There's not a lot, you know, to talk about currently with the Pistons, but we were able to come up with some good topics. This is going to be a fun show, and I'm just happy that Ryan's back because last week was tough without Ryan. Uh, Yeah, I mean, it's good to be back. I don't know who gets the flu twice in a month. Me, I guess, but, you know, good to be back. Glad to be here. I mean, seriously, who gets the flu twice in a month? That's a tough draw. That's a tough draw. I don't, I don't know if that's tougher, though, than sticking me with Brendan and just Brendan for a full episode, I but it's th- tough. I don't think so, but at the same time, I've had the flu like twice in my entire life, <laughs> and then twice in a month. Hey, man. How what, how does that happen? You're just you're just being tested, just like, uh, just like Christian Wood continues to be tested by Dwayne Casey each and every game. Oh, wow. With his wow. lack of trust. But uh, I guess that's you know just a, just get letting it out what a right away. Segue comparison but, um, there, my goodness. I'll let Brennan take back over. Wow, Sorry okay, about Brendan. that one. All right then. I've I've got nothing really to say. I just um, <laughs> it is depressing though. It yeah. is depressing. I just though. wanted to point it out. I don't know. Just hey, go ahead, Brendan. So, anyways, get the show started, Brendan. Anyways, uh, rumors have circulated that Spencer Dinwiddie was mentioned in trade conversations at the trade deadline. And the Detroit Pistons were one of those teams that were interested in making a trade for Spencer Dinwiddie. Now, Dinwiddie has you know, said probably numerous times, hey, I've got no interest in going back to Detroit. You know, Even though that's the team that drafted him, doesn't really have an interest in returning. But interesting that the Pistons had an interest in trading for Dinwiddie uh, at this previous trade deadline, and of course, no move was made uh, as Dinwiddie remains with the Nets. Yeah, and I'm not quite sure what the Pistons' mindset really was with that thought process. I like Spencer Dinwiddie. He's an underrated basketball player, a borderline all-star when he's given the opportunity to start and play big-time minutes, but I don't know what it is with this team and point guards, but they just got this fascination with being interested and wanting 10 different point guards on the roster. It's really confusing. I like Spencer Dinwiddie. Again, I think he's a good player. Can score, can facilitate, has good size. And I'm very much of the belief that the Pistons made a huge mistake giving up on him years ago when they did. Obviously, this is a new front office now. It's a new coaching staff. I get all of that. But when you look at this team... And you look at their trajectory. Spencer Dinwiddie, just like Fred Van Fleet, which we've talked about before, really doesn't fit the timeline of where this team is headed. Especially when the Pistons are set to have one of the top picks in the 2020 draft, which is a draft class full of point guards that are top one, top three, top five lottery projected. It just doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. And this is one of those things that I feel it wasn't it's not just something that's gonna go away now. There was just interest at the deadline. The Nets are a team that their future is kind of interesting. They have Kyrie Irving, they have Kevin Durant, they have DeAndre Jordan, and everyone else is kind of fair game. The only reason DeAndre Jordan is safe is because Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving are big friends with him, and that was part of the arrangement was they would come if they could bring DeAndre Jordan with them. But pretty much everyone else in that roster is fair game. They're up for trades. They're available in the market. And, you know, this is something that I could definitely see the Pistons coming back at and circle back in July and say, or maybe even, you know, the end of June, before the draft or whatever, and 
come back to the net and say, hey, you know, what's your stance on Dinwiddie right now? What do you want for him? What is it going to take? I think that there could still very much be an interest in Dinwiddie beyond just this season. I mean, hey, that's I mean, that's obviously why you would want to trade for a guy. It's never just a half a season deal in most cases, especially with a guy like Dinwiddie who still has multiple years left on his contract. It's an interesting situation. I don't think the Pistons should be looking at Dinwiddie as much as I like him, but they are. And I don't know what that says, if that exactly breeds confidence in the front office when they're looking at trading for a guy that doesn't fit the timeline of where they're headed. It's it's um, interesting. I'll, just, I'll leave that one right there. When I saw it on Twitter, I thought it was a Twitter prank at first. I thought it was a Twitter prank. Because of all the times we've seen, honestly, Dinwiddie on Twitter say he he's not coming back to Detroit. He never would. And so I was like, oh, we're just being pranked. But then it was real because, you know, the Twitter handle checked out. And like you said, Aaron, it is, it's a little confusing that they're, I mean, I like Dinwiddie just like you like Dinwiddie. I'm pretty sure everyone in Detroit likes Dinwiddie. Uh, it just, it doesn't seem to fit the mold of, hey, we're, Rebuilding, we're trying to build this thing back up. This is the timeline. Going after Spencer Dinwiddie doesn't fit the timeline, like you said. So it's confusing. I'm not sure what it says. It tells me they're still interested. I mean, like you said, they're interested in him in the long run. So they're probably going to make that call again in the offseason. Why? Because this team is hell bent on trying to put together a winning roster. Ed Stefanski is dead set. I'm reloading, in a sense, for next season. I, I'm very firmly in the belief of that being the case. I can't get down with that. Why? I, I can't just either. can't get down I with that. I can't either. It doesn't make sense. Your team had their chance last season and this season. And last season, you backed into the eighth seed, got swept in the first round. And this year, yes, you had terrible injury luck. But the rest of the team folded. No one stepped up high enough to keep you afloat. And unfortunately, you put together a team that was injury prone. You knew going into the season that that was the risk you were taking. So are they really about to walk it back and go get a guy like Spencer Dinwiddie, Mm -hmm. who won, doesn't want to be here, at least has said he doesn't want to be here, which I don't have any issues with him not wanting to be here considering how his time went here. And two... You are not going to put together a roster that is capable of winning in an offseason. Right. When Blake is you know, going to resume basketball activities in June, so you'll have him. But outside of that, the rest of your roster is kind of in flux. You've had issues with Luke Kennard, Christian Woods, an unrestricted free agent. And the rest of your roster, I mean, they're, they're going to keep Derrick Rose. And then they'll have Svima Hiluk. What else? You know, Tony Snell is not a guy that's going to help you get to the playoffs. Right. He's a fine player. He's not going to help you get to the playoffs. Not to the point where he is a ceiling raiser or anything like that. He's just, he's a fine basketball player. So, for them to be interested in Dinwiddie, it shows that they are still interested. And not just interested to the point where... It's a pipe dream, you know, it's something that'd be nice. They're interested in the point where they're willing to part with assets that would benefit them in the future to try to put together a winning team right now. Because there's no way you're getting Dinwiddie for pennies on the dollar or anything like that. He's a good player, and he's on a pretty decent contract. You know, there's no... There is no situation where you walk away with Dinwiddie in some bargain deal. So, to me... This is one of those situations where the front office is showing their cards. And they're saying, look, we want to improve our roster for next season. We're still in this with Blake Griffin and Luke Kennard and whatever else. We're able to scrounge together and we're going to try to go play in the playoffs. That sounds so terrible. And hey, hey, that hey, sounds so terrible. One more thing on that. They're going to go out and get another point guard when they've already acted like Derrick Rose is their most valuable player. It's just another compounding move that doesn't make sense. 
it just does not make sense. Again, like Dinwiddie, he's a good player, but this team has no business trying to trade for him when they are on the timeline that they are on. It just it it just doesn't add up, and, and and you just start to ask yourself like, how do these guys get NBA executive positions, and and, and why does a guy like Tom Gores own an NBA franchise if he's going to make these kind of decisions that are really just bonehead decisions, you know, it's just mind boggling to me, like. You sold off Dre, you bought out Reggie, you bought out Markeith. Like, just take a two-year... It really will take two seasons, giving Seku two years, two more years in the league to develop that allows you to maybe get one or two really high draft picks in addition to what should be a decent draft pick this year. And now you've got two or three young draft picks to pair with Seku, your pick from last year, Luke Kennard, where does V end up, and Bruce Brown and Christian Wood. Yes, you'll have some money to maybe make a play on some other small free agents that build out some depth or positional upgrades for you within the roster. And by year three, then with a nice young core and a nucleus of guys that can compete for a long time at a higher level, you should be able to go make a real run in the playoffs, a real run in the Eastern Conference. But what's the point of trying to go after it next year? Because you're not better. You won't be better than the top four teams that are in the Eastern Conference right now. So again, you'd be playing for a ceiling of a five seed. And likely a first round exit. $33 million. It's worrisome that the Pistons have that kind of money at their hands in the offseason. Because here's the other thing. And, and, and we're going to talk. I don't want to. I don't want to jump too far ahead. We still got to talk about free agency, and that, that'll be our next topic. Okay, and some guys that the Pistons could target. But the philosophy should really be simple. You've got a lot of money you're going to have available this off season. I, I have thoughts, on, and I think we might all be in agreement here of where you're going to really place that money. I don't. I don't see us all differing too much on that, because at the end of the day. If the Pistons are going to become players in free agency, like real players in free agency, it's not going to be this offseason. It's going to be next. And it's going to take two max slots available. Because free agents love the idea of being able to go and pair up with a buddy of theirs or somebody they think they can win with. And that's the way the Pistons are going to be able to attract a big name. They are not just going to land a big name free agent. We know this. That is not new. The only way you attract a strong free agent is if he's able to convince somebody else to come to Detroit, pair up with what they currently have, and see that as a place to win. Going out and risking everything and losing that to try to compete for a 5 or 6 or 7 or 8 seed next year? I thought Tom Gore said just making the playoffs wasn't good enough. And this roster will not be good enough to win anything in the playoffs without major upgrades. So what are we doing? Well, first things first. I think we've got to understand anything Tom Gore says is just lip service. Which is unfortunately true. He, he wants to win. I mean, everyone wants to win. Yeah. He, he wants did, to win now. He wants to win. Just making the playoffs is good enough for him. Yeah. Everything about, hey, maybe we need to rebuild or whatever it is, lip service. We know what he's trying to do. Mm-hmm. It's been very apparent since the day he's gotten here what he wants to do. Right. So, it's frustrating. I appreciate your anger because I feel the same way about it. What are we doing? We're doing nothing. We're in limbo. That's where we're at. That's what we're doing. Nothing. Stupidity. Idiocracy. That's where we're at as a franchise right now. And it should be really a time of optimism for Pistons fans. Because you could be closing in on a top five pick. You have the potential to close in on a top five pick. And 
you're going to have some money available this offseason, which at this point we should probably continue to, to progress through the podcast here and look at some free agents that will be available for Detroit. And one thing, and we talked about this before we started the podcast, and I know Aaron's got a few names of guys that you can you could look into. The Pistons might be able to sign, get some friendly deals, things of that nature. But to me, there's only one guy you're going to throw real money at, and you're going to force New Orleans to match a max offer to Brandon Ingram. You're going to throw that offer out there. And I, I think this whole table here is in agreement about that. Yeah. I think that is an absolute must. Brandon Ingram's not going anywhere. He's staying in New Orleans. 100%. But you have to force New Orleans' hand. So then... You have to. So then, let's say he doesn't take it, okay? If he does not... Let's say you know he doesn't come to the Pistons, which is like 99% the case, right? You spend your money to just fill some needs, short deals, maybe even some one-year deals, and fill out your roster, get through next year, play your youth... Play your youth, sit on some cap. That way, when it comes to next offseason, maybe you find a way to move a Blake Griffin. You find a way to free up enough money to have two max slots available. And then you can go make a real play. And you can make that play based off of how you've drafted this year and how you draft next. And you can draft according to what free agents you're targeting. That's got to be, to me, that is the logical plan for Detroit. This whole, they're going to try to compete next year. They're going to try to win with Blake Griffin. It's done. It's done. Stop it. It's done. And it's just really, really frustrating. Because the thing is, it's like, People will. It, it, there's not a lot of people that are left in the Detroit Pistons corner in terms of that fan base. That fan base is weak right now because they're not an exciting product. But there is that group that have stuck by and supported this team and hung through the good, the bad. And, and well, for a lot of these guys, I mean, let's be real. A lot of the fans in the Pistons corner right now are kids that do not remember the 04 championship or maybe barely remember it. Most of the current Pistons fans have not seen a winning product in their lifetime. Just a fact. The majority of the Pistons fan base that is active has not seen Detroit win a playoff series or at least remember seeing them do it. The role of the Pistons in free agency this summer should be none other than what the Brooklyn Nets did seasons ago. Can I can I just finish what my point was though? Okay, I didn't know. I didn't yeah, know. I just want to finish go that ahead. point. Of those young fans, if you go out and you don't play these young kids, and a guy like Svee ends up on the bench, or Sekou doesn't have you know tremendous f- flexibility and room to grow next year, they will walk away too, and your door will close. Because you will not win next year trying to gather some free agents and put a, a bullshit roster together. Sorry. So I just wanted to finish that point of people that door will that door's barely open. That one will close too. The Brooklyn Nets circa twenty sixteen played the role of making other teams pay money. That is what the Pistons should be doing. They should be going after restricted free agents, signing them to contracts so that other teams have to match. Brandon Ingram is the number one option. Max Brandon Ingram, make the Pelicans match, and if the Pelicans don't match and you're able to come away with Brandon Ingram, then great. That's a huge win. It's great because the difference between... Getting a guy that can help you win now in Brandon Ingram and getting a guy that can help you win now in Spencer Dinwiddie. Spencer Dinwiddie is going to be 27 at the end of the season. Brandon Ingram's currently 23 years old. That's a three, four year difference that fits your timeline. Brandon Ingram's then a guy that can help lead 
some of the youth. And he, he's right there with a Bruce Brown and Luke Kennard in age. Sekou's going to be young. Like, that's just how Sekou is right now. He's the youngest player in the NBA. He's going to be very young next year. Like, that's what he is right now. Ingram fits that timeline. Dinwiddie doesn't. There's other free agents that the Pistons can go after. One of them that's unrestricted and would actually fill a need for the Pistons is Harry Giles. He's unrestricted at the end of the year. He's not been given a big enough role in Sacramento. That's a guy that you can play behind Christian Wood. You can play alongside Christian Wood. He's a very young player. He's still a big-time athlete after going through numerous injuries at Duke and in the NBA. That's a guy that the Pistons should absolutely, on day one, be going after. He's going to be 22 years old. He's only averaged 15 minutes per game this season. Like that is a guy that one isn't going to get a big payday, so you're not going to have to pay him, you know, ten million dollars right. so, per year. What is his value? Probably, I would say you go out and you offer him seven million dollars. It might be a slight overpay, but you you have the money right now. Sign him to a two-year, three-year deal. I mean, look, I'm just thinking of Stan Van Gundy signing Langston Galloway to a three-year, seven million dollar contract. So we ended up paying him three years. 21 million over three years. I would be very much okay paying 21 million dollars over three years to a 22 year old that has promise. Mm-hmm. Another guy that the Pistons should be looking at is Frank Jackson. He's just 22 years old. It's another Pelican, and and really there's other multiple other Pelicans that you can look at. Kenrick Williams, another guy that's going to be a restricted free agent, a combo forward that you could nab away from them. But he's not neither of those guys. But I'm going to talk about Frank Jackson specifically here are going to be high on New Orleans' priority list to handle and to deal with monetarily-wise. Those are guys that should be easy to take away from them, easy to steal away from them. And if the Pistons, for some reason, don't draft a point guard and don't draft Killian Hayes, because I'm going to continue to say draft every Killian week, Hayes. you have to draft Killian Hayes. If they don't do that for some reason, Frank Jackson should be the guy that they go after in free agency as a young guard to bring into the system. He just hasn't been given the opportunity in, in New Orleans. And, and funny enough, it's another Duke guy. But uh, <laughs> it's, uh, I'm, I'm basically filling out the entire Pistons roster as a pseudo-Duke team. But it's just a guy that can play. He can shoot. He can attack the rim. I like him. And I'm surprised that – I mean, I get New Orleans has so many guys that deserve minutes. I'm just surprised Jackson hasn't been given an opportunity to consistently play. So that's why I think he's a guy that you're going to be able to nab. And Kenrick Williams is another guy from New Orleans. Combo forward at 6'7", 6'8". Can shoot, can defend at multiple spots. That's a guy that I would like the Pistons to go after as well. I mean, there's you know plenty of guys that I can continue to talk about. But in summary, the Pistons should be going after young, young players, restricted free agents, that they can either force other teams to have to pay big money to so they lock in their cap space or the Pistons can get and, and make the most out of. And real quick, if the Pistons have the opportunity to draft Killian Hayes and they don't, I think my heart will stop. I think that will I think that'll send me into like just shock. I, I'm sure of it. I am so sold on Killian Hayes. Uh, I used to be a big Denny guy. Still very much enjoy Denny. Avia, but my God, I am I'm 100 sold on Kill, Killian. Is my one, and honestly, I get the the Anthony Edwards hype. I get Tyrese Maxey. I get the USC center that I can't say his name, but Denny's number two on my board. I, I, I it's Killian Hayes, and then it's Denny, and then it's probably Anthony Edwards, and then after that, it can be debated. Yeah. I but those are two guys that I just really like, and Denny's been playing so well, so lately. well. Like the shot has mm-hmm. figured, like it, it looks like it's there. Something he said, and something I've talked about with you guys in all his interviews, has always been confidence is a little bit of a problem for me. When I fi- when I do find my confidence, though, I am a much better player, and all his teammates agree. And they've even said when he finds his confidence, watch out, this kid is a freak, and it is showing now. That being said, I'm still on the Killian Hayes train. Yes, yes, but Killian and Denny, those two guys. If Killian's gone and they don't take Denny, I'll cry. Killian's there and they don't take him, I'll cry. But anyway, back to this free agent talk. I just need to sneak that in there with you. This offseason 
is so complex. So complex. Because it sets up the 2021 offseason. Mm-hmm. The Pistons have a lot of cap space. Sure. So you're going to be spending money on Christian Wood, right? Right. You're planning on bringing him back, right? Well, what's his value? Do I think his value is probably 8.5 to $10 million right now because he doesn't have a long track record of doing what he's doing in the league? Yes. But were there a plethora of teams calling for him at the trade deadline? Yes. He's an unrestricted free agent, which means teams are going to be throwing money at him. So his value is probably going to shoot up to 11, 12, 13. I can see that happening. So then you have to ask yourself, does he even want to be here? He doesn't have to stick around. He's not restricted. Does he enjoy playing for Dwayne Casey? I don't know. We see how everything fluctuates with him so much. He should be a stalwart in that starting lineup. And I get, at the end of the day, it's just about the minutes, really. But he shouldn't be coming in off the bench and this, that, and the other thing. He should be a consistent piece in the starting lineup. It's kind of different when you're on a good team. Yes. When you are literally probably the worst team in the league right now, roster-wise. And you're the player. Right now, he is the the player. player. And and you are coming off the bench behind Thon Baker and John Henson? Come on. That... Even if he is getting the 34, 35 minutes a game, that still messes with your mind. Like, why am I not? Like, there's there's just, I, I don't, not a prestige. I, maybe a prestige. I don't know what. There it, is a prestige. There's just, there's just something to it. It means something. Right. He is the guy. He should be starting every game. 100%. So does he even want to be here? And then you got to figure, well, how much money are you going to have to throw at him? Okay. And then, next up, what are you doing with Luke Kennard? Extension time's coming up. Yeah, right. you have this cap space, but he's a $15, $16 million player. He's not some 5 and a half to $7 million player. He's a real player, a real threat. Are you paying him? And if so, you got to think about that. That money's got to go. Or are you trading him? Do you want to throw money at a guy like a Harry Giles? I'm okay with that. But you got to think about what you're doing with those other two first before you even consider that. Mm-hmm. Do you want to be a player in the 2021 Free agent class. And that's Do you want to have those to. max spots? What's your plan in the draft? Because that's that can determine so much of what you do in free agency. It's so complex. And I think a big uh, thing, which Aaron talked about, is forcing teams to pay players like the Nets did. Go after, throw the money at those restricted free agents, making other teams make plays for them. Or their, their team make a play for that player. I'm all for that. The Pistons need to make that type of move. And of course... If they don't do it, they need to be shipped to the moon, throw all the money at Brandon Ingram. Because no, he's not going to sign here. New Orleans is going to match for him. But on the very, very off chance that they don't, Brandon Ingram is a star. He's going to be a star. He fits the timeline. He is a great fit. I love Brandon Ingram. We've signed like three Duke players to the Pistons roster. Frank Jackson, Brandon Ingram, Harry Giles. I, take them all. You got Luke Kennard. I'm a Dukey. Do we you have a Do we have a top guys. five Duke player in the draft? No, I don't think no, so this year. No. no. Do we need to get back into the mid mid first to go get Vernon Carey? Right. He had a tough end of the game yesterday against uh, Virginia. But uh, um, anyway, it's so complex. How, are they going to spend the money, or are they going to give it to guys who are older veterans, one year deals, try to maneuver, force teams to pay players? Because they've got some things they've got to figure out on their own roster. Right? Well, and, and I think, and you guys both mentioned it, the Blake Griffin contract something that has to be talked about here, yeah. too. He's what? got a player option for the 2021 offseason. If you could trade him, that op- that opens up money for next year that you can still spend money this year. Yes, yes. Great point. But at the same time, who's taking Blake Griffin right now? Right. You know, I, I, I think if you are able to move him this offseason, which I'm not convinced you are, even for matching salary you know on expiring contracts i'm not sure that the pistons could even do that who when you look at the season that blake had in the 12 games he played and you look at his how he was injured at the end of the 2018 season 2018 2019 season and then obviously has missed the rest of this year how do you buy into taking a guy on for 34 million dollars next year and then the likelihood of having him on another $34 million or, 30, or 38 whatever maybe, it is. Maybe I'm wrong. I thought it was 30-something million dollars for another year. I don't even know if you can get someone to just send you expirings for that. That's legitimately it. I don't Unless think, you get you, Portland desperate. Enough. Right. You can't ask for any sort of asset, I don't think, no. in a Blake Griffin trade. Blake, the best you can do is getting expiring matching salary. 
So you have a ton of free room in 2021. I think that's the very best you can do right now without Blake Griffin proving himself that he's able to come back and play after this injury. So now the front office and that is that is dead set on trying to win has to ask themselves that question. And it might be the right move to move on from Griffin and say, look, we appreciate what you did here. We really we were on the verge of doing something. But it, it just it didn't work. It didn't. And now we have to move on, and we want to put you somewhere that you can try to win. And, you know, you are able to get back expirings. Maybe that is the right move. I don't trust the front office to make that move, though. I, I don't either. And I don't even know if they can pull that off, to be honest. Like, no, I'm not even talking about the front office. I just don't I don't even know if that can happen right now mm-hmm. with how much money Blake Griffin will cost the team right. compared to what can he even do anymore. We just don't know. Right. It's not like he's 27 coming off these like knee issues. 31 coming off these knee issues that he's had his whole career. I'm okay with holding on to Griffin. I've said that I'm okay with him being the Kevin Love of your rebuild, hopefully without all the issues and the pettiness and whatnot. Yeah, he just he just straps you so bad. But that's the thing. He straps you for another two years. And because it's not you like wanna, he's... You want to have the money to bring back Wood and re-sign Kennard. But then it's like, we really can't do anything else until Griffin's done. Right. Because what if on the very, 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 very off chance, this is a huge what if, it's almost not even worth bringing up, you are able to get Brandon Ingram. He does come. Well, you you need... The reason he would agree to that, outside of being... is because you're telling him, yes, we can bring in another guy when we get the free cap space. So you, I think you're clearly looking to move on from Blake Griffin at that point. Yeah. But can you even? Probably not. Yeah. No, I don't know. It's unless unless you're able to get a player, you're able to get a player to buy into Griffin's going to come back healthy. And I don't. And I, I don't. don't think that's I just out there. don't think you're getting that. I don't think that's out there. And I don't think Blake is. I mean, we saw it last year. Blake said he recruited three guys. He went over three. I don't think Blake's going to have that. He doesn't have that pull to recruit a guy here. No. So you don't. One, you're not going to be able to recruit someone, and then I don't think you're going to be able to get someone that wants. I don't know if here. it's that Blake doesn't have the pull. I think guys love Blake. And I thought that I think they saw that. Hey, Blake is a player. I think it's they saw the roster around him. And can I? Can Blake and I work together to make this all work? I think that's what they saw. Right. And I think that's why Blake went over three. Because I don't think it's Detroit. I don't. There's this huge, huge, huge narrative that Detroit's a miserable place to be. Is it a free de- free agent destination? No. But it's not some hole-in-the-wall, scum, crap town that no one wants to come to. People will come here. Absolutely. They will play here. But you have to give them the money, and there has to be a decent reason. Just like every other smaller market town. It's not like, oh my god, Detroit, kill me. That the, There's that narrative out there, and that's such a crazy narrative. It, it's not, yeah, it's not like doomsday. He didn't yeah. go over three because oh, why would I want to go to Detroit? He went over not over three because Blake Griffin has no pull. He went over three because of the roster around Blake Griffin. I think players saw the writing on the wall that this not a winning circumstance. Too yeah. many injury prone guys, not guys who don't know how to win because they really didn't know how to win because they've never been there before outside of Blake Griffin mm-hmm. having any sort of success in the playoffs. Not that Blake's had a ton of success in the playoffs. Which is kind of shocking when you when you look back at it in retrospect. I think that's where the O for three comes from. And then, you know, you kind of look at you have other people have the conversations privately that involve comments like Fred Van Fleet made about Dwayne Casey, and that you know while he was in Toronto, there was a lot more arguing, there was a lot more. It was a lot more condensed. You know, he he was a little more stubborn. Dwayne Casey's kind of stuck in his ways. You're going to do it the way he wants you to do it. Um, whereas now you see Toronto flourishing, and, and you see guys, you look at a roster, you're like, I mean, Toronto's got some pieces, but, like, how are they playing this good? And it's because, well, Nick Nurse is allowing them to, to experiment a little bit. To let them be free flowing, to give them some room, you got to give your guys some rope. You got to let them play a little. They're bit. professionals. You have to. I mean, it, it's just, you know, you're seeing that that's even apparent, you know, at at the college level, let alone the professional level. You know, 
Uh, more than people probably know, that's starting to hit the high school level where you've got to start giving players some rope if you're actually going to let them buy into playing for you. You know, you can't try to just contain everything they do. So, you know, with Dwayne Casey maybe being a little bit more more stubborn and trying to limit the the creativity and the in the free flow, uh, you know, just style of play, you know, now they're doing it, they're flourishing. It brings up the question, do free agents want to sign in Detroit to play for Dwayne Casey? And and let's say it's not a free agents approach, but it's a hey, we are in rebuild mode, and they decide to go out and blow it up and rebuild. Is Dwayne Casey the right coach for a rebuild? Is he the right coach for the Pistons? Yeah, that's a loaded question, and those Fred Van Fleet comments certainly make it a little bit tougher to analyze. Um, I've always been in favor of Dwayne Casey, and I know even in his first year last year, he got a lot of criticism from certain sects and was critiqued pretty hard. But I, I, I was steadfast in every coach does something that you're not going to like. It happens everywhere with even the best coaches, Greg Popovich, Nick Nurse, Steve Kerr, all of them. But this year has been an utter train wreck. Whether it was starting the season with Luke Kennard coming off the bench, the way he's handled Derrick Rose, the way he's handled Christian Wood, the way that he handled Sekou Dumboya, everywhere, Dwayne Casey has made mistakes. And, and that's just looking at playing time. Let's also talk about the fact that this team, throughout this entire season, has been unable to look coherent offensively, has been downright dreadful at times on the defensive end, and Dwayne Casey was supposed to at least make sure this team was good defensively. And, and they just look like they don't run an offense at times. Like They just genuinely... At times, look like they are not running an NBA level offense. Mm-hmm. And then you hear these comments from a guy that began to break out under Dwayne Casey, but once he left, fully broke out in Fred Van Fleet. And you hear how Dwayne, you know, when Dwayne Casey was here, there was a lot more arguing. There wasn't a lot of players being allowed to, you know, speak their mind and give their thoughts. It was a lot of arguing. There wasn't harmony. Like, you hear that, and then you connect it with, well, look at these comments he's made about Christian Wood and Sekou Boya, two of the young cornerstone pieces for the Pistons. Look at how he's run Derrick Rose into the ground trying to win ball games. Look at how he used Blake Griffin as soon as he came back from injury to start the year, immediately giving him the ball and ISOing him and going back to last year's offense. You just have to look at those things, and when you add them all together, doesn't that concern you? Big time. Because it concerns me a lot. Big time. But then on the flip side, you have to go out there and you have to say, if Dwayne Casey's a problem, we got to move on from Dwayne Casey. Fine. Who are we going to get? Because there's not going to be a John Beeline. He's not getting back into NBA coaching. He's in that advisory Which role with the Cavs. I want to add, I feel really bad for John Beeline. And as a Michigan State basketball fan, you know, I think you guys know that I, I always gave Beeline a lot of praise and credit. And I always really respected him while he was coaching in Michigan. And I was really happy for him to get a chance to go to the NBA and do it. And I feel really bad for the way that, that he, was, he, he was just kind of forced out. You know, if it didn't work out, it didn't work out. You know? But but just just to know how poorly that went, and um, to be bad enough that he had to resign from his coaching position middle of the season and couldn't even just finish out one year and decide to step away. That's I, I do I feel bad for him. I, I just got to put that out there. I might have even said that last week, but I just I, I do I feel bad for him. So you don't get you know there's no college coach coming to the NBA and you've missed out on you know any of these other coaches that have come into the league as of late you your your best 
option is probably that I can think of right now. A guy that you talked to back when you were interviewing Dwayne Casey is I'm Udoka from the San Antonio Spurs. Or did he leave? Did he leave the Spurs? He's honestly, I don't even know where he's at I, right now. I think maybe did he join uh, the Sixers? Yeah, he did join the Sixers. So fair enough. I honestly, I didn't even. But know that's that. maybe your your best bet is is getting I'm Udoka in your head coaching position. I mean, maybe there are some other names that become available or say they want to get into, you know, get into the NBA or there's a former coach that wants to come back. But you have to figure that out, too. You have to say, yes, Dwayne Casey has his faults, but we also have to have an option to replace him. And that's where I'm kind of curious where this goes. I don't think the Pistons will move on from Dwayne Casey. I really don't. I think he's here and he's here throughout his contract. Win or lose. But in the scenario that they did move on, you have to remember that you also have to find a replacement. You also have to find a guy that you think can come in with a team that will have lost their head coach and be able to galvanize that locker room and be the leader of that locker room. Right. So that's, that's kind of where my head is at on that situation. I don't think Dwayne Casey's going anywhere. Uh, honestly, I don't think there's a chance he's going anywhere. Um, it's a win-win for him. He can't lose. Maybe Goris does want to win, but he put those public comments out there publicly that, hey, maybe it's time for a different direction. So either way, they win, great. They lose, great. Dwayne Casey is here throughout his contract unless he decides he wants to step away. I just don't, I don't see Goris and Stefanski letting him go. And you're right, Aaron. What if they do let him go? Well, you have to have a plan in place. And I honestly, I don't know who that plan, what that plan is or who that plan would be. I don't at this point. There's not, there just doesn't seem to be those names like there were a few years ago when Dwayne Casey came here. There were those names out there. There really doesn't appear that way this year. Hey, it could change. The year's not over, obviously. But if you ask me, he's not going anywhere. Is he the right guy to lead this rebuild? It doesn't feel like it, let me tell you. It really doesn't, but it's not what he signed up for. That's not that is not what he signed up and, and, for, and that has to be considered. And I'm sure that's weighing on his mind too. Yeah, he came here to try to win again. So and I get that, I get that, but at the same time, you've gone out and you've made some very questionable decisions. Yes, with guys that the th- okay. The th- here's can I cut you off real quick? Yeah, yeah. Here's the thing that's really bothering more than the Christian Wood stuff, more than the Luke Kennard stuff, is. This whole time Seku's been struggling, I've really been like, eh, I'm not worried about it. I'm not worried about it. I don't know what happened because nothing really changed, but the flip has switched on me. I am worried about it now. Like, people were all worried and confused and freaking out about it all over Twitter. I'm like, I'm just sitting there like, don't worry, guys. It'll be okay. He's young. It's, But I don't know. Now I'm I'm kind of freaking out too. Right. Because he is an Seku's an absolute ghost out there right now. They are doing nothing to help him. In the offense, he goes and stands in the corner. And that's it. That's all he does. It doesn't look like he's getting... All this experience and playing time means nothing if you're just going to stand in the corner. That's his role in the offense. Maybe come set a pick up top, run back to your corner. They don't even look at him. Which, it's five on four when they're playing offense. Which is just ridiculous because I'd love to see him be just a, a focal point. Let's see what he can do. He, and I mean, he's shown he can do it. You see when he... he you There are times when he does start doing his own thing a little bit and freestyling and playing free-flowing, and he, he'll turn the ball over once or twice. He's young. It's going to happen. Or maybe he takes a bad shot. He's young. It's going to happen. He comes out of the game. It's it, it, That's like such a high school thing. It's almost like... It's literally like kind of like a high school... It's not like this is a... 45 win team right now No, that's like battling for playoff position it's like what the hell are you doing kid you're costing us this is a team that's playing for nothing he's got to make those mistakes right and I feel like when he makes a mistake or two after like he gets one freebie if the game's early on a second one and Dwayne Casey's on him and he then he just runs to his corner and that's it he's a ghost out there a ghost and he's a solid rebounder, but he's not even. Re- he looks terrible right now. Rebounding to me, the, to me, seeing the Seku and, and the lack of Seku on the offensive end, 
is enough to tell me that Dwayne Casey is no longer the guy that should be in Detroit. Maybe, maybe he was the right fit for a team that was trying to win. And, and you know what? They needed some coaching with, you know, a mix of young guys and veterans that, you know, between strategy and a focus on foundational system that, hey, maybe Dwayne Casey's the guy that will be able to put them in a position to win. He's a good coach. He's a proven playoff coach. You know, this is not a knock that Dwayne Casey is a bad basketball coach. And I don't want it to sound like that. But you're at a point right now where you need a guy that that's going to come in and he's he's going to nurture some young kids. You need a guy that's going to nurture the young guys. Because that's where your team is. You are rebuilding with a young nucleus. Let's say you re-sign Christian Wood. You re-sign or you extend Luke Kennard. Seku, Bruce Brown, Sfima High Luke, even if that's the only five, and that doesn't even mention guys like Jordan Bone, whoever else. You need a coach that's going to develop them and allow them to make mistakes and really grow. And Dwayne Casey's probably a very good, like, hey, showing you the, the strict foundation and trying to break bad habits, but in the style of play that we're at today, you've got to let you've got you've got to just let them run. This isn't this is not a a crawl, walk, jog, run process anymore. This is a you get to the league. If you're drafted like a guy like Seku or Luke, you're expected to already be walking, and you just tell them start running, and they learn, and they figure it out. And, and you make the point, if this was a 45-win team, then yeah, you have more room to 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 you know, hone in on some things and really slow it down for them. And let them just walk while they watch others run. And really see the true form. But you're a 20-win basketball team. You're, t- what, 20-41 and 41 or 20-42? and 42? Yeah, whatever it is. It's like... Yeah. Why? Why are we slowing them down? Let them go. If they make mistakes, let them make mistakes. I think Dwayne Casey is maybe trying a little too hard to win games with a bad roster and really imposition their draft status than let the young kids develop and be the focal point. Be the focal point. I said it a few weeks back, I got no problem... If you have veterans on your roster, giving them burn. I've got no problem riding out this year. You know, I'm not saying that that guy should suffer like Christian Wood should suffer. Christian Wood should start at center every night and play his minutes every night. You know, but if you're going to put Langston in the mix and whatever, like I got, I got no problem with it through the end of this year. But then next year is supposed to be the year of all youth, letting them go, letting them learn, and giving them some freedom. And you know what? If they lose, that helps you for the draft and it gives you plenty of film and opportunity to show why they lost and help them improve. And if somehow they win, well then God bless America. I mean, come on, that's that's the whole that's the whole point. So it it, it just if Dwayne Casey is going to in a sense, hold some of these young kids back, then um, it, it just it's just not going to work. It's just not going to work. Because in a league where guys can just walk away, guys won't stay here. And you don't want to lose... You don't want to lose a guy like a Seku. You don't want Christian Wood to walk away because he doesn't want to play for Dwayne. Which is very much in the realm of possibility this offseason. It is. And I don't know if that's being talked about enough. But We, we don't know the, the psyche of Christian Wood. We don't know right. the relationship. We don't know the dynamic. But just in today's landscape, you can make some inferences that Christian Wood is the guy. And yet, I get he's still getting his minutes and that's what's most important. But he should be a stalwart in the starting lineup. Uh huh. He should never be coming off the bench behind Thon Maker. No doubt. And yet here we are. And he might take that as disrespect. I wouldn't blame him if he walked. And 
this day and age where players have the power. It's a player's league. All right, I'll see you later. I'll go to the next place that wants me. Yep, that's how it works. And, and I hope that we're not too too stubborn to see that. So, Which, uh, 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 you know. Ah, yeah. This so, franchise. That's where things stand. That's where we are. Um, boys, I don't know. Anything else you want to add before we wrap up for this week? I think this was a good good podcast. We talked about some good stuff. A lot of it trending towards next year. Right. But important stuff nonetheless because the rest of this season, wins-wise, loss-wise, I mean, the losses matter. The wins don't. You know, this is this is looking towards beyond – Right. Which is funny because last year we talked about this is the year. Uh, this current year being the year for the Pistons. It was all about next year, last year. And this was supposed to be the year that everything kind of really came together. But no. It's actually next year, folks. That's what matters. And it'll probably be the year after that as well. So well, Yeah, and next year's not about winning. Next year's about losing. No, next year's right. it's, it's making sure you have some foundation to your core yeah. assembled. So... Well, boys, nice job this week. Folks, thanks for sticking with us. Of course, the Pistons might be abysmal, but you know we're going to do our best to give you some quality content. With that being said, of course, continue to check out the website, palaceofpistons.com. You know you can find us online, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube. You know you can follow the podcast. It's on iTunes, SoundCloud, Podbean, Stitcher, you name it, it's there. Um, So be sure to hit that that like button, that subscribe button, that follow button, wherever you are keeping up with Palace of Pistons. So make sure you keep tabs. We'll keep doing the best to give you good content, despite how bad our Detroit Pistons really are. With that being said, have a great week, and we'll see you next time here on the Palace of Pistons podcast. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.